What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 222. Are you ready? Are you ready for today? Because we're talking to Bart Ehrman for his second visit to the show. Uh, second visit. I'm so grateful he took the time uh, to stop by and talk to me and to talk to us. Uh, he talked to me about his new book, his latest book. It's called Journeys to Heaven and Hell. Uh, subtitle is Tours of the Afterlife in the Early Christian Tradition. And I, I really, I really enjoyed this book. This is, he's got two books on heaven and hell, this one, and then another one called Heaven and Hell. And he'll talk about the differences in the episode. But this one, Journeys, is more scholarly. It's put out by Yale. Uh, heaven and Hell is more for the lay person. And so Journeys, there's a lot in there that is super, super new to me. And I definitely did not grasp it at all <laughs> on the first read. Uh, as, as I did with Heaven and Hell, it was a little bit of an easier read for me. Uh, but we kind of go into both of these books a little bit. We touch on some aspects of both books, mostly from Journeys, but a little bit into Heaven and Hell as well. But the thing I love about Bart, my point is that Bart is able to take the most scholarly of information and he's able to share it with whatever kind of audience he's speaking to, whether it's a group of scholars where you and I might sit there and have no idea what's going on, or he can speak to a bunch of high school students and just explain things in a way that makes sense to them. And I appreciate that so much because for me, that's the mark of someone who's very wise, uh, very educated, obviously, but very wise because you can take this information, like you obviously really understand it if you can take it and explain it to an elite group of scholars or a group of high school students and have it make sense to both to both groups. So anyway, I'm excited about this. He asked me before we re recorded uh, who, who are our listeners, and I said that we're not scholars. Most of us are not scholars. We're not sitting in the Yale classrooms, but we're ex-evangelicals who are asking a lot of questions, and really many of us have been uh, wounded very deeply by the topic of hell, and uh, he understood right away and I think he geared his answers appropriately. So I'll put all of his links in the show notes. Also in the show notes, Patreon, buy me a coffee, a link to my book, all the different things. But all that to say, my friends, episode 222. Let's roll the tape with the one and the only Bart Ehrman. Enjoy. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing through sunshine and rain. Stressing over everything, losing your brain. Fit back up yourself before you go insane. Levitate over times and you got the rain. Times are tough, I'm being honest. We can see the light, just remain modest, uh Can't forget, just a day reminder Life's a little short, and take off the blinds Be a little wiser Build my own future, I'm the pathfinder CMG is a team with a franchise, uh Impacted by the worst decisions Breaking bad habits on the repetition What you getting to now? Gave too many chances, to now In the bad condition, but it's not the ending all right, hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have the pleasure of sitting down with our repeat guest, uh, the one and the only Bart Ehrman, to talk about his most recent book, Journeys to Heaven and Hell. And so, uh, Bart, welcome back to the show, and thanks for making time for me. Oh, thank you. I've, been, I've enjoyed it before. I'm going to enjoy this one too. Thanks. Thank you. So let's let's jump right in, listeners. If you want to know more about Bart, either take to Google. I don't trust everything you read, <laughs> but go do a Google search and you'll find some stuff about him or go back to our last episode from last summer. He gave a little bit of an extended intro. Uh, but for now, this 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 book, uh, first of all, Bart, it's it's so good. And uh, like most of your books, like 99% of the information is 
relatively new to this uh, evangelical man. And so maybe you could begin by uh, telling us a bit about this book and how it differs from your other book, which is called Heaven and Hell, which people might be more familiar with. I know that Journeys is geared more towards scholars, is put out by Yale. Uh, Heaven and Hell is more towards lay people. But what does that even mean? Uh, how are these two books yeah. uh, different? Well, you know, it's like any any field of scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, when scholars are talking to scholars, they use a certain kind of language and they have certain kinds of assumptions and presuppositions and things. And when mm -hmm. they're talking to lay people, but most scholars, of course, don't talk to lay people <laughs> because, <laughs> because they're not interested in doing it and because sure. they can't do it. Right. <laughs> if, you're, if you're like, you know, if you're an expert on, you know, astrophysics or something, it's like, you know, unless you really know how to forget it. And, and of course, you know, we're not talking astrophysics here, but we are talking about uh, texts written in Greek and Latin from a long mm -hmm. time ago in the Roman world. And there's just a lot of presuppositions that scholars have that you have to explain to somebody who doesn't, you know, hasn't had the training in the field. And so, sure. um, so the, the heaven and hell book I wrote for the, as you said, is for the lay audience, mm -hmm. presupposing almost nothing about, uh, but trying to show that our ideas of heaven and hell are that you die and your soul goes to one place or the other, mm -hmm. that you, you, your soul either goes to heaven or hell at death, uh, that even though that's the common view, Mm -hmm. uh, throughout, uh, not just throughout Christianity, but I'd say throughout much of the Western world, um, it's not taught in the Old Testament, and it's not what Jesus taught, and so that book is about where did it come from then, and that's that's what that book is about, and uh, so I call it a history of heaven and hell, not because it's not that you know heaven and hell had a history, but but the ideas <laughs> of heaven and hell. Sure, had a sure. So this book, uh, this other book, the Journeys book that uh, that you're just showing is uh, so it's called Journeys to Heaven and Hell, mm -hmm. and it's not about that. <laughs> it's about um, a kind of a genre that you have in the ancient world, uh, of in which a person is given a guided tour mm -hmm. of the afterlife, um, and so people are probably familiar with that from Dante's Divine Comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, so you get the, you know, you get the three levels uh, mm -hmm. in, in the Divine Comedy. Um, but the, the uh, my book is about the earliest Christian predecessors of that mm -hmm. uh, genre, because Dante's not making up the idea uh, when he does the Inferno, you know, he's not <laughs> making up the idea of this journey. Uh, so the, the earliest version of this we have in the Christian tradition was in a book discovered in 18, the 1880s. We knew mm -hmm. about it before, but we didn't have it. And it turns out it's a guided tour that Jesus gives to Peter mm -hmm. of heaven and hell. And so he sees all the torments of the damned and he sees the blessings of the saved. And, mm -hmm. and so from there, so we go from there. And there, there, so there are a number of these in the early Christian tradition that most people have never even heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, some might have heard of the Apocalypse of Peter because it actually was a popular book in early Christianity. It almost made it into the New Testament. It was mm -hmm. that popular, but it, it ended up not making it. But then you have other books later. And I go through about five or six of these up through up through the fifth or sixth century. But the thing I do in my book that really makes it even more scholarly is that I situate these Christian journeys to heaven and hell in relationship to predecessors in the Greek and the Roman and the Jewish traditions. Going back to the Odyssey of Homer and uh, Virgil's Aeneid and Lucian of Samosata and then Jewish examples. And, and so, um, so it's, it's, uh, trying to it's trying to show that everyone who portrays one of these journeys of the afterlife is trying to say something about it. Mm -hmm. And almost never are they really trying to say what it's about, sure. what, what's going to happen. They're almost always using 
the re- what they see is the realities of life after death to show you how you ought to live now, mm. uh, given the fact <laughs> of what's going to happen later. They all <laughs> what's going to happen later, and so they they all use it in different ways. And so the point is to see how these different uh, stories are being used to describe how you ought to live. So the apocalypse of Peter is one of the things I wanted to, to talk to you about because you you have quite a, a section in there about it, and like you said. Um, and I might set up this question wrong, so if I do, feel free to correct me. But um, you said that it almost it almost made the cut into the Bible, but obviously it didn't. And from what I gather from your book, it was at one point uh, widely accepted, I guess, in like the second, I think you said second and third centuries. Then like by the fourth, it started to dwindle a little bit. By the fifth, it's gone. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about uh, the significance that this particular text once held. Uh, in the early centuries of Christianity, uh, like, first of all, why was it accepted? And then why was it like left out? And secondly, yeah. like, what insight does it bring into this conversation about journeys into heaven and hell? Obviously, yeah. you said that Jesus is talking to Peter, takes him on this tour. But what does that even mean for this conversation? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we have early church fathers who talk about um, certain Christian books mm-hmm. and some of them, they just, you know, they just refer to the books, but sometimes they, they refer to them as scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have um, we have some church fathers that list the books that they think are part of the New Testament. This is in the centuries before we actually had a set list. Mm-hmm. And so the set list ends up being the 27 books of the New Testament. Um, contrary, by the way, to what most people seem to think, the, the 27 books of the New Testament was never decided on at a church council or by a vote. Uh, a lot of people think that it happened at the Council of Nicaea. That's what I was taught. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what everybody says. And it's yeah. absolutely not true. It's just, mm. it absolutely, it's just absolutely not true. I don't know where this site has started. It got mm. popularized, of course, by that uh, inimitable historian of religion, Dan Brown. It just made up. They right. didn't talk about this at the council. <laughs> they didn't talk about the canon at the Council of Nicaea. It wasn't even talked about there. Mm. We know what they talk about. We have their agenda. We have their, like, and so, uh, yeah, and it never was voted on. It wasn't mm. the, the first person to come up with a list. Our, our list of um, these books is, uh, was a, a figure named Athanasius, who was a mm-hmm. bishop of Alexandria. And it's it's like in the 360s. Mm-hmm. And he's the first one to list our books. And even then it wasn't decided. I mean, it just kind of, eventually there was a kind of an informal, just a basically an informal agreement. Everybody just basically agreed in the end. So mm-hmm. there's never a vote. But, um, you know, what, there were big issues about which books ought to be in. Almost everybody agreed with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But mm-hmm. um, there were big dis- disagreements about the Apocalypse of John. Mm-hmm. which did make it in, which at first people didn't think should be in, and the Apocalypse of Peter, which in the end did not make it in, mm-hmm. but people did think it was going to be in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's pretty interesting. So when you read the second and third century sources, they talk about the Apocalypse of Peter as a scriptural source, as mm-hmm. one of the Christian scriptures. And they probably thought that because it claims to be written by Jesus' disciple Peter. It, um, and so it, it has that kind of authority. Uh, and it is a uh, it's a description of the afterlife that many people found completely agreeable because mm. you know those 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 sinners out there are going to get it, <laughs> <laughs> and he describes in graphic detail how they're going to get it. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very lurid description. There there are everybody's punished according to their characteristic sin, mm. and the punishments are not pleasant and they're eternal. <laughs> <laughs> is, is is how the book is uh, often read, and so. 
All right, so um, it was accepted. It ended up by the fourth or fifth century uh, being rejected. Mm. And the reason is because um, it's a little bit complicated. So I have a mm. chapter kind of devoted to yeah. trying to explain how this works because yeah. it does it gets down into the weeds. But we have different versions mm. of the Apocalypse of Peter. So, so your listeners, many will be familiar with the idea that the New Testament scribes changed it in places and, mm. and scribes changed the Apocalypse of Peter in places. And it wasn't until uh, it was after the original discovery that we realized that the original version of the Apocalypse of Peter indicated that the punishments are not eternal. Mm. That in fact, Christ has pity on everybody in hell and mm. gets them out of there and takes them to heaven. And in the fourth and fifth centuries, that did not fly well. So, <laughs> so, so scribes changed the text. So doesn't fly well that, today either for many. <laughs> it would not fly well with many because you, man, you know, like you're not getting everybody out of there. You might get a few nice people, but you, you ain't getting Hitler out of there. That's right. <laughs> so, but like everybody gets out. And so, yeah. um, and so they ended up condemning it uh, mm. for that reason. And so that's why it didn't didn't get in. But in the weather whether it has that universalistic strain or not, the idea that it was universal salvation, that everybody gets saved with or without that. Um, the point of the book is pretty clear. You know, if you, if you obey God and follow Jesus, you're going to have a glorious afterlife. And if you, uh, if you engage in sin, you live in sin, you're going to be tortured forever or mm -hmm. tortured, you know, for few centuries <laughs> so which do you want <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so the idea so this, this one has a pretty basic idea you better you better shape up for here yeah <laughs> yeah now did the 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 changes that were made like can you speculate at all about why like why why would the, why would those specific changes be made do they reflect like a change in thinking that was going on in christianity at the time was this like yeah. a small group of people who made the decision to make this change like why that seems like a really big change to make it's not like we're just changing a couple of big, words we're changing a big, big idea does that reflect yeah. a shift in theology yeah it's a big shift in theology and mm -hmm. the weird thing is it does just involve a few sentences a couple sentences because mm -hmm. the um the uh peter and the other apostles are very upset that these people are being tormented because they're hearing them scream you know <laughs> and you know it's not nice you having read red hot pokers driven into your ear into your mm -hmm. eyes by demons forever you know it's just like it's not good and so they beg jesus to show mercy mm -hmm. and uh in the original text he did did show mercy mm -hmm. but then later scribes there were different editions of it and so the reason we know they got changes because i, I mentioned that it was discovered in the 1880s mm -hmm. they that was a greek version of it that was discovered in a guy's tomb in a cemetery in egypt they dug up this tomb and they found this book in it and it had this thing in it. and they were whoa that's the apocalypse of peter <laughs> but then about 30 years later they realized that we had it in an ethiopic translation uh and the ethiopic even though it was originally written in greek the Ethiopic translation was mm. almost certainly based on an earlier form of the Greek text mm. so, you know, than the Greek text we had. So right. this is where we start getting complicated. And then some decades later, they found a couple little scraps of, uh, of papyrus that had some writings of something on it. They realized this is from the Apocalypse of Peter. Mm. And it happens to be the very passage. One of them is the very passage we're concerned about where Jesus does or does not show mercy. And this papyrus is older than both of the other things. And it showed Jesus forgave them all and took them up and baptized them and took them up into heaven. Mm. 
Um, and so, uh, so it was changed. And so it was, but then the question is why was it changed and why was, why was the original version so problematic that people left it out of the New Testament? Mm -hmm. And what I argue in the book is, um, this part would be pretty interesting to people, I think, mm -hmm. because a lot of people know that throughout the history of Christianity, there have been Christians who have argued that everybody in, in the end gets saved. Mm -hmm. Um, this this was never the majority view in Christianity, even though some people claim it was, but it absolutely was never the majority view, but it was a, it was a marginal view. Mm -hmm. And there were different, different ways people explained why, why and how it is people will all be saved and in this apocalypse of Peter is because Christ shows mercy on everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's a sensible solution. Another solution that people had was that um, Christ is more powerful than the powers of evil. Mm -hmm. And so the powers of evil cannot win. In the end, he's going to conquer the powers of evil and he's going to overcome all evil. And so evil will be destroyed and hell will be taken out and and everybody will be saved because of Christ's power. Mm -hmm. So Christ is more powerful than Adam because, I mean, Adam made everybody sin, but Christ got to be more powerful than that. Right. And so he's going to bring give everybody salvation. And you, yeah. you can find suggestions to that in the writings of Paul. I mean, mm -hmm. so they could make a base. So what ends up happening in uh, in the third century, a church father named Origen, uh, who was the most important theologian before uh, St. Augustine, mm -hmm. the most important uh, theologian before the Council of Nicaea, say. Mm -hmm. um, he developed an idea that salvation would come to all people. And his, his view uh, was that uh, since God is ultimately sovereign, and since in the end, every knee shall bow to Christ. And since in the end, Christ, so in the end, God's going to have his way. Mm -hmm. And in Origen's view, it it's not just going to happen in this age, because a lot of people don't believe they, they go get punished and after they die. But God's going to have another age mm -hmm. in which they have another chance. And then another age. There's going to be like thousands of ages until <laughs> finally everybody gets it because everybody nobody can resist god forever right <laughs> and so everybody's going to be so that was his view and it became a popular view in the end of the third century among mm -hmm. uh, among some theologians but in the fourth century there were theologians who wanted to put the kibosh on it mm -hmm. and the uh this was called the originist controversy uh where church fathers like uh, jerome for example, condemned this idea. Augustine condemned this idea of universal salvation. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly when the Apocalypse of Peter started falling out of favor. And uh, it's when and it's when the new editions got written. And so it's what I argue in my book is that it's a result of the originist controversy that uh, the Apocalypse of Peter didn't make it in. Mm. So you have like some, some are trying to evolve almost the ideas and you have the others who are trying to hold it back saying, no, 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 we can't, we can't let, we can't let this doctrine, this theology go there and we have to reel That's it back right. in. Yeah. And when they pull it back in, what they do is they intensify it mm. and they, uh, and they, you know, and so they, they double down on it. Yeah. Uh, the modern terminology. And, um, and so then it becomes such a part of that, that the universalist strain ended up being very much a minor thing throughout history. Yeah. Although it is, it is. It's having a comeback today, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with with um, with. I mean, not just uh, kind of liberal types who want everybody to be good, but I mean, <laughs> even conservatives are saying, "Look, God, 
God's not a monster. He's not going to be torturing people for two trillion years right. <laughs> or sins they committed for 20. And yeah. then that's two trillion is only the beginning. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. No, so people are saying, yeah, that don't make sense. Yeah. And so uh, and he's a good, good father, right? So what a good, good father would do. <laughs> and he loves people. Look, and right. he, doesn't, he doesn't want to torture you forever. You know, yeah. a few million years would be enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> right. All right. So let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um, Jesus. Uh, the, the last section of the book talks about the uh, power, power of Christ and the harrowing of hell, where you kind mm-hmm. of address this idea uh, that Jesus died uh, when he died and then before he rose, he went down to hell and he did something. He had coffee with the prisoners or had a fight with the devil, whatever it is he did. But we could talk about that in a moment. But first, you mentioned it a little while ago, but can you talk to me about uh, Jesus's understanding of hell? And I know this probably goes a little bit more into the heaven and hell yeah. book, but I think it's an important topic yeah. because hell is one of those doctrines, like the first one that I really began to ask questions about. Mm-hmm. And the same with a lot of our listeners and asking questions about it. Then my eventual like public declaration that I just don't really believe in it, uh, I lost a lot of friends over that one. And as people kind of unfriended me and walked uh, away, like one of the comments I got was, well, you should go back and reread your Bible because Jesus talked more about hell than anything and anyone else. And so I'd love for you to respond to that piece of criticism because on the surface of our English translations, like it can appear that way, right? Like hell seems to be all over the place, but I've come to realize obviously that going beneath the surface of the biblical text can reveal a lot than just kind of a quick read of our English NIV yeah. translation or whatever. So Jesus talks about hell more than anyone or anything else. Uh, put this to rest for us, Bart. <laughs> well, there are several things to be said. One thing yeah. is it's just not true. If you just look up the word hell in the book, I mean, uh, it's just not true. I, mm-hmm. I learned that too when I was a young evangelical and, um, uh what i mean jesus talks about the kingdom of god mm-hmm. far more than he yeah. talks about hell and so uh and uh in fact so that's just if you have an english translation that translates the word in question as mm-hmm. the word hell <laughs> <laughs> and the, big, the bigger deal is that it's a complete mistranslation mm-hmm. um and so much i mean a lot of translations are getting away from it so the deal is this um there is a word in Greek that you can find in Greek literature mm-hmm. and you can find in, um, uh, you know, non, non-Christian Greek literature that refers to the place of torment that uh, people might go to if they've lived badly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's the word Tartarus. Uh, Tartarus is the place where people, uh, you know, they can get punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that word does not occur in the words of Jesus ever. Mm-hmm. Jesus does not use that word. Mm-hmm. Uh there are places that translators have translated as hell in the words of Jesus, and it's not the Greek word for hell. It's an Aramaic word, Gehenna, mm-hmm. Gehenna. And so Jesus says, uh, for example, that um, if your right hand sins, cut it off because it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God whole, I mean, maimed, mm-hmm. maimed than to be cast into Gehenna uh, whole. Uh, and so, uh, in other words, uh, so Gehenna, don't, you don't want to be tossed into Gehenna. <laughs> oh my God, you do not want to be tossed into Gehenna. So this is a, it's an Aramaic phrase that, mm-hmm. that now a lot of translations are just leaving it as Gehenna because it absolutely does not mean hell. We know what Gehenna is because it's a biblical term. It first appears in the Bible in the book of Judges. You also find it in Second Kings mm-hmm. and in Jeremiah. Um, it's a uh, Gehenna 
is a uh, a place outside of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It's a valley uh, that is uh, in the in the Old Testament. It's called a Gehinom, uh, and it's the um, it's it's a valley that was owned by a guy named Hinnom. <laughs> <laughs> and so so uh, and you can find that just in the Old Testament. I mean, it says it, but. But in the Old Testament, this place outside of Jerusalem, it's, so it's a valley to the southwest of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. it had a very nasty reputation in Jewish thinking and in the Old Testament, especially in 2 Kings and Jeremiah, because this was the place that uh, some faithless Israelites practiced human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't just that they were like killing humans in sacrifice, they were killing children. It was child sacrifice where they were burning children to a Canaanite divinity, Moloch. Mm. And so the uh, in the book of Second Kings, and especially in Jeremiah, this is portrayed as the most desecrated, God-forsaken place on the planet, mm. where these horrible activities were going on that had nothing to do. And it's it's set up in a nice contrast, because this, this valley outside of Jerusalem, if you look up, you can see the temple of God, mm-hmm. where the true God is. So he's up high and this is down low. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get a heaven and a hell thing yeah. in the thinking of it. So the deal is, is that it's a little bit hard for some people to get their minds around, but in the ancient world, almost everybody on record uh, was terrified of not getting a proper burial. Mm-hmm. Um, today, most people want to look, people today want a proper burial, right? You mm-hmm. die, you, you don't, you want to have a nice bed, you know, you want to know how many people come to your funeral. Sure. I mean, you want to, you know, it's like you, and you want something good to happen. If you, you do not want your body to be, de- your corpse to be desecrated, yeah. right? Or to be torn apart by animals or be booted, you know, stamped on by enemies and things. You just don't want that. In the ancient world, this is a real, a real terror that's testified throughout all sorts of ancient literature. Mm. Uh, Jesus is saying that if you, are living a life of sin, you're not only not going to get a proper burial, you're going to be tossed into this god-awful place that is forsaken of anything decent, and that's going to be your that's where your remains are going to be without a burial. Mm. So you don't want that. Uh um so Jesus, so when Jesus talked about Gadna, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this valley where the corpse might be tossed. And so the other thing to to say about this is um that when Jesus does talk about what's going to happen to people, um, sorry, this is going to go on for a second. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, please keep going. Yeah, keep going. No. So the other thing, so this is the big point in my book, Heaven mm-hmm. and Hell. Today, people have this idea that, mm-hmm. of course, we've inherited. We all had this idea growing up, and most people still do, that when you die, your body dies, but your soul goes one place or another. Yeah. And my in my book, Heaven and Hell, what I try to show is that that's not in the Bible. Because that's that's not what the Old Testament imagines, and it's not what Jesus thought about. In in Greek thinking, like in Plato, that's mm-hmm. right. Plato thought that your soul could not die, mm-hmm. but your body would die. And so the soul is immortal. It can't die. Uh, and Plato devotes a number of his uh, writings to trying to show that the soul is immortal. Mm-hmm. But in Jewish thinking, that wasn't the way it was. In Jewish thinking, it's not that a human being is made up of body and soul Mm -hmm. as two separate things, one of which lives on and one dies. Mm -hmm. It was that the human is made is one thing. It's a it's a physical body that has life breathed into it. Mm -hmm. Soul is your life breath. So when God created Adam, he makes his lump of dirt on the ground, 
humanoid, but it's just a lump of dirt, but then he <laughs> breathes into it. Mm -hmm. And when the breath comes into it, it becomes a human being. And so humans are humans only when they have the breath of life in them. Mm -hmm. And so a human doesn't exist until they can breathe. Mm -hmm. And when they stop breathing, they're no longer a human being. They don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So for, so it'd be like, it's more like the ancient Jewish thinking was more like we think of the breath. Mm -hmm. And the word is actually the same as breath, pneuma, the spirit, the breath. Um, when, when you're breathing, you're alive. When you stop breathing, your breath doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not like it exists. You just stop breathing. And right. that's what Jesus thought about when you died. So when Jesus talks mm -hmm. about the afterlife, what Jesus, as a good Jew, is saying is that he talked about a resurrection of the dead. He doesn't talk about the immortality of the soul. It's not that the soul lives on. Jesus says at the end of the age, dead will be raised from the dead. This is the Jewish idea that God will breathe the breath of life back into mm. people and they will come back to life. Mm. And so for Jesus, the kingdom of God is not your soul going to heaven. The kingdom of God is a kingdom. It's mm. here on earth. God made this world a paradise. People were supposed to inhabit the paradise. People blew it. And it's been wretched ever since. But God's going to return people to paradise because he's going to raise them from the dead. Those who have been on God's side are going to enter into this glorious kingdom. And those who are opposed to God are going to be raised from the dead. They're going to be brought back to life to be shown the error of their ways. Mm. They're going to realize they botched it. And then God's going to destroy them in fire. <laughs> <laughs> but he's going to destroy them. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be annihilated. Mm. So there's no there's no soul living on in heaven and hell. It's it's, it's a body either entering into the kingdom or being destroyed. So then that's how does, <laughs> yeah, no, but that's, that's a great answer. But then I guess it leads to, you know, like a bigger question of how, like, do these ideas then make their way into the Christian faith? Because people were familiar with these ideas from Plato, like these, you know, these ideas outside of Christianity. So as they perhaps read the Christian text, did they kind of, bring in this thinking like almost have it like a filter like they're reading for instance like the gospel of matthew and they're reading that but they're reading it through the filter of what they've yeah. read somewhere else yeah well that's a good way to put it because uh what we part part of jesus teaching that this resurrection was coming was mm -hmm. that it's coming soon <laughs> right uh, the disciples won't die before it happens this mm -hmm. generation won't pass away before it happens and they're expecting it to happen right away and it, do mm -hmm. it doesn't happen right away mm -hmm. but it involves a kind of a dualism where you've got like you've got this you've got this world we're living in now that's wicked mm -hmm. ruled by the forces of evil but god's going to destroy them and bring in this good kingdom and there'll be a resurrection and uh some people will enter into this kingdom so it's, it's sort of a now and then thing that you could put on a horizontal timeline mm -hmm. but it's dual dualism mm -hmm. uh now and then um what hands of happening is the now you know the, the now doesn't stop <laughs> so like the end doesn't come but but while it's not when it doesn't happen most people converting to Christianity are not Jews. Mm. By the end of the first century, the vast majority of people who have become Christian were Gentiles, meaning they were raised in Greek ways of thinking. They were raised in the Roman Empire with Greek thought. Mm -hmm. So they, it's not that they read Plato's you know, books necessarily, but this is how people thought. That right. so and so when they convert, they keep the dualism. It hasn't happened yet. Well, Jesus must not have been it's going to happen right away because it mm -hmm. didn't happen. But they already have the idea of uh, a different kind of dualism. And this horizontal dualism becomes a vertical dualism. Mm. It's about above and below. 
And what happens isn't that your body's raised and you live forever here. What happens is you die and your soul goes up to God. But since the soul is immortal, it can't die. That means the people who are wicked also can't die. Mm. So the soul then is punished forever, not destroyed. And so that's where you get heaven and hell. So it's really kind of a fusion of Plato and uh, and Jesus. Mm. By people, of course, who didn't know Plato, but I mean, it's it's roughly speaking, that's what it is—a combination of Greek thought and Jewish thought. It's just it's just interesting to me how things evolve and change as different cultures kind of got involved in things because like you said it was very jewish way of thinking but then as the gospel spread to these other cultures and they started coming in with their own thoughts it just evolved and changed uh, that thing that had always been there well it still does obviously i mean american evangelical christianity you you it's impossible to convince an american evangelical christian that jesus did not believe in democracy and that he wasn't a capitalist right <laughs> but he there there was no such thing as democracy in his yeah. his part of the world and capitalism yeah. didn't come around for 1900 but they, you know they just think well of course he was that's you know that's the right thing and so right. no, i get that i get that and that's sure. just how it's most great but but um yeah things change depending on your own environment all right so last question let's go back to the idea of um jesus going to hell uh on saturday between the the crucifixion and the resurrection um and i want to ask about that because like i'm i'm no theologian i'm not a bible scholar i'm not a historian but i know i know like just enough to be a little dangerous but from what i can tell the only like real new testament passage that to me is even a little bit convincing that maybe maybe alludes to this idea is in first peter where it talks about Something weird like Jesus went to spirits who were in prison and he preached to those who were disobedient, something about God building the ark or Noah building the ark, things like that. But it seems strange to me that like an obscure verse like that could maybe be merged with some other obscure verses from different letters to make this claim that a lot of Christians really believe was like really, really important because I've had people tell me like they insist that this happened and it's so clear and so evident in the Bible and you have to believe it because that's 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 what it is. You just went to hell, so we wouldn't have to do things like that. But maybe you could bring our conversation to a close. Like when when did this idea make its way into Christianity? Was it always there? Was maybe was it more of a vague idea early on and became more concrete later? Like where where did this come from? Yeah, so it's a great question, and it's and I do I have a chapter on this mm-hmm. in the Journeys book because yep. it's such an interesting question. They call it the heroine. It became the doctrine of the heroine mm-hmm. of hell. And um, what I what I think happened, I don't think that what happened is that people read First Peter and they said and they came up with this doctrine. Oh, yes, this is it. Because when you read <laughs> that passage in First Peter, uh, it is really confusing. And uh, I know scholars have written there are their entire books written on the, that verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what that means. So it's not like <laughs> straightforward. And what's it got to do with the it's a really weird verse, too? It's strange. It's a strange verse. And, yeah. and what it's got to do with Noah building an ark? And who are these people who are disobedient? And why is he preaching only to them? What What is it? What is that? Yeah. And so I think what happened was um, I don't think that was the starting point. I think the starting point was people started wondering. You know, Jesus died on a Friday and he gets raised on a Sunday. What's he doing? In the <laughs> um, I mean, does he go to heaven for a while or does he does he um, does he just stay dead, like unconscious for a while? Or mm-hmm. and they started thinking about it. And one of the things that entered into their thought was, you know, Jesus died for the sins of the world. But does that apply only to people who are alive now and who are going mm-hmm. to be alive after us? Because people before him couldn't believe in him. So that doesn't seem fair. Mm. So how do you 
how could their salvation go to people who died already? Mm -hmm. And they put those two questions together. What was he doing in the meantime? And how could people hear who had died already? And they came up with the idea, well, like everyone else, he went to the realm of the dead. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the question was, well, what what was he doing down there? yeah, and people said people started thinking, look, if he's fully human, humans go to the place of the dead. And so he's got to go to the place of the dead. Okay. But you know, on the other hand, you know, he is the savior of the world, and surely he was doing something down there. And um, there were two schools of thought that developed. One was that he uh, went down there to preach the gospel, and that he preached to those who were had died already. He preached to people while he was alive. Mm-hmm. Now that he's dead, he preaches to people who had already died. Uh, and the other, so the other, the other view is that he didn't go down there to preach. He went down there to assert his power. Mm-hmm. Like his 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 death brought about the salvation of the world, and he's the most powerful person ever lived. And he's going down there to assert salvation in the mm-hmm. underworld. So those are the two views. But within those two views, there are also two other views: is is he doing this for just for the saints, or is he doing it for everyone? Everybody. You know, is he trying to save everybody or is he just talking to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all them? Mm. Uh, and so and so these these views develop over time. And it's not really until it takes several centuries before you get the whole idea that um, Christ went down there to save uh, to save people. Mm-hmm. And so in my book, I talk about a really interesting a gospel that most people have never heard of or read that they should called the gospel of Nicodemus. Mm. So it's about 400 years after our gospels. It's a great, Jesus goes down there and uh, he goes down there with vengeance. He's mm. going to, he's going to destroy Hades and the devil and he's going to assert his power. And he goes down there, he gets everybody out of there. Yeah. <laughs> In that book, I have uh, this book here. I was going to show our listeners too, is the lost scriptures and the apocalypse of Peter is in here. And a whole bunch of other ones. So that's one that people should pick up as well. Awesome. Well, hey, Bart, we're just about out of time. Uh, but this has been a lot of fun. As expected, you always deliver some fascinating things. So thanks for taking time for me. Yeah, you're welcome. This has been great. And uh, real quick, two things. You're coming out, I think, with a book on Revelation. Is that correct? Do you want to mention anything about that? I do. Um, thanks. Um, yeah. So it's coming out in March. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is called Armageddon. <laughs> and the subtitle is What the Bible Really Teaches About the End. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book of Revelation is, uh, I think, probably the least read and most un- misunderstood book on the yeah. planet, <laughs> a, a Christian book. Yeah. And um, my my view, what I argue in the book is that almost everybody's understanding of it is wrong. It's not predicting what's going to happen in the future. It's not mm-hmm. meant to predict what's going to happen in our future. But I go on to show that the view that I always held, that a lot of liberal scholars hold about the book, is also wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's not a book that's really preaching hope for those who are suffering. Uh, it does provide hope for some people, but uh, basically it's uh, the word hope never occurs in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Words that occur, words like blood and vengeance and wrath. And it's, ooh. So, <laughs> not a happy so anyway, book. <laughs> so my book is about how reading the Revela- reading Revelation as a prediction of our future has caused so much, so many problems. And I even go into things like American foreign policy, uh, and I go into, mm. um, uh, you know, people making these predictions and like, you know, people selling the farm as a result, thinking the end's coming soon, and yeah. like all and all sorts of things like that. So, so yeah. there's so that's so that's the book, and I I really uh, I think of. Every time I write a book, I think, well, that's the best book I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, so I certainly think that about this one. I think this one is really, uh, is really kind of, I think it's important because so many people 
misread this in dangerous ways. Yeah, I think it's like you said, the most maybe unread or misread, but also the most misapplied. I mean, you just have so many different people apply it in so many different ways. You can get lost in the mix of not really, what, what is this book even about? It's very confusing. Yeah, well, and you know, even things like, uh, I mean, your older audience will remember uh, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. Mm. Boy, that whole fiasco was largely because of a misreading of the book Revelation. You said March, right? March? March, yeah. Okay. March. And then lastly, your blog. I'd like you to mention that yeah. because I, I want to invite yeah. people to sign up for that because you're doing really good work with it. Well, thanks. I Yeah, I know the blog. So so I, I started this blog about 10 years ago mm -hmm. and uh, I decided I'm going to post five times a week at least on issues relating to the New Testament and early Christianity. And I do. Uh, posts are, you know, thousand words, fourteen hundred words, right in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I posted every uh, five five times a week, every week for ten years. Mm -hmm. And so, and people have access to the whole archives. I people who belong to the blog, uh, they can ask questions. I answer every question I get on the blog. Yeah. And so, um, it's grown significantly. I thought we would raise a few thousand dollars when I started this thing, and we are now raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've raised over one and a half million dollars. Uh, on this blog because there's a there's a small membership fee the fee can be small because if you get a lot of people paying a small fee you get a lot of money sure. <laughs> it's right. a small, it's, it is not it is not expensive at all it's very very it starts like 2.99 a month yeah <laughs> and uh but for that amount you get access to all this stuff and you can make comments on my posts and i answer the comments but um so it's a really good thing but the deal is i don't get any of the money mm -hmm. um uh i do, don't get a penny from it mm -hmm. uh it all goes to charity it all goes to charities that uh, help mainly help people who are uh, the, the hungry and the homeless. That's really and good. So, yeah. So that's the point. So I hope people will at least check it out, the Bart Ehrman blog, and um, think about think about joining. Excellent. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes, and we'll do this again maybe when Revelation comes out. Maybe we'll do it again. Oh, great. Okay. Thanks, Bart. Okay. Great. Thanks. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah Just mind don't buy, don't play by the rules I'm gon' make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Alright Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight, getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real, I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill, kill. sometimes kill. it's getting kind of scary I'm here for the thrill, decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill, the bottle getting kind of iffy Temptations made its presence in the air, it's kind of tempting Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention Uh-oh, and I forgot, but did I mention Looks like I won the game, made my decision I listen I've been busy searching for you, yeah Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah Just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules, no Captain on the low, gotta let it flow Gotta let it go, yeah. On to something new, yeah. Trying to play it cool, quit with all the tools, yeah. Maybe you're my calling like I'm on flight at 28. Manifesting everything I take, it's not too late. Running to my purpose like I'm rushing to the gate. Of course, it's in my planning and it's also with my faith. At the end of the day, if we gon' find a way, it's a fact of the price that we pay. Everything shine to the gray. Nothing gon' break to the shade. Nothing gon' break to the hate. Everything all that we claim. Hit the red dot to the aim. No 
no missing, I'm focused, no slipping, I'm growing, no talking, just showing, no stopping, keep going, yeah, I'm just trying to break codes, ain't nobody I owe, this the life that I chose, and I'm blessed for it. I've been busy searching for you, yeah, trying to figure out if it's true, true, don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah, just mind don't mind don't play by the rules, no. Kept it on the low, gotta let it flow, gotta let it go, yeah. On to something new, tryna play cool, quit with all the tools.